0: So, well, my name's Brandon. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at River City, and uh, this morning I get the chance to open up God's Word with us again this morning. Uh, we've been uh, going through the book of Ephesians, if you've been here at all with us, and the book of Ephesians is a, a letter written to a church uh, kind of in modern-day Turkey, um, and uh, the letter is written to this church, and they were kind of the first Uh, Church in this whole region of the world the first group of people who became followers of Jesus in in the entire region of the world and so Paul the apostle Paul is writing this letter to them um, As an encouragement to them as a reminder to them about some really important some truths and also as some instruction to them And so uh, we've been uh, studying through the book of Ephesians, and one of the things that's really important to understand as we uh, kind of um, move on into kind of the second half of the book of Ephesians is that the first half of Ephesians is all, it's not telling you to do anything. The first half of the book of Ephesians is telling you who you are because of Jesus. And Paul is just preaching the gospel to this young church. He's just reminding them about how good Jesus is and about all that he's done on their behalf. And he's reminding them about who they are because of Jesus' life and death and and his uh, work for them on behalf of them on the cross. And so chapters one through three is just like this. Man, it's like Paul wants to just capture their hearts and remind them about how good God is and how much he's given for them and how desperately God loved them. And the reason that he does that is because in the coming chapters, Paul is gonna like have some really hard things to say to this young church. He's gonna give them some instructions. He's gonna call them to live in a way that's like really challenging. It's difficult, right? And it's really, really important for us as we kind of dig into the second half of the of this book, right? Um, that we don't forget what happened in the first part. The first part is all of, it's that reminder of the good news about who Jesus is and that all he's done. And it's not just an informational dump that Paul is giving them. It's like a heart check, right, that Paul is giving them. He's gonna gonna challenge them in some really difficult ways. And all of that stuff is going to fall on ears that are gonna feel like their identity and their relationship with God is all based on performance if they forget what happened in the first half where God reminded them that, that they were dead enemies of his, and it was in that state that God chose to adopt them and love them as his kids, that it wasn't anything that they had earned or deserved or had been privileged to get, but rather it was like an incredibly gracious gift that God would give them, that he would call them his kids, and that it wasn't based on their merit, so that they didn't earn it, and they couldn't mess it up. And so Paul is proclaiming these truths into their hearts because it has to sink in deeply for the rest of it to matter, right? Last week we talked about how the role of leaders within the church is not to do ministry on behalf of everyone else, right? A lot of times people believe that like pastors like me or even Aaron or others, right, that, that the job of a pastor is to do ministry for everyone, right? Um, but last week we talked about that the job of a leader, the job of a pastor, the job of anyone who's a leader in, in the church, their job is actually to equip everyone for ministry, right? Right? So it's not, that, it's not that there's a few who do ministry on behalf of the many. It's a few who equip the many for ministry, right? And so my job is not to do things on your behalf, but is to empower all of us uh, to follow Jesus and to grow up, right? And the pastor says that the goal of the equipping work of leaders is that everyone in the body is built up to look like Jesus, right? Like, not like the robe and the sash, right, or something, or not even the beard, right? But, like, to look like Jesus, not just in the things that we do on the outside, but to think like him, right? It's to see the world and to see um, the world around us as he sees it, to think about the perspectives of things as he would see it, right? Uh, Vanderstelt, Stelt is a pastor that I just really appreciate. Um, He says this, he says, we're actually all in full-time ministry, God just routes our checks through different ways, right? That really is true. All of us are ministers of the gospel if we're followers of Jesus. All of us have been given a ministry, right? And so the question is, if we're all supposed to grow up in Christ, and the role of leaders is to help equip everyone so that everyone is serving and everyone is growing up in Christ, the question is how, right? Like, how does that happen? Like, is there like a magical button behind a door that you just smash on a bunch of times and then everything happens, right? Is there like, like a really fantastic sermon that I just preach and then everyone's good to go, right? Is there like a book we just all have to read and then, no, it, no, it's not any of those things, obviously, right? But the question then is how, right? How do we all grow up in Christ? How, how do leaders help everyone grow up? How do, how do leaders help everyone teach everyone else how to grow up? And that's where we're headed this morning, right? That's where we're headed this morning as we uh, dig into the second half of chapter four. So let me pray. We'll read God's word and we'll see if we can't make some sense of the how we all grow up in Christ, all right? God, thank you so much for your word. God, I'm just so grateful for you and for your word. Thank you for our time together in it this morning. God, thank you that like you want us to know you. You're not trying to hide from us. You're not like trying to like make us do special tricks to figure you out. But like you just love to show yourself and reveal yourself to us. And so God, as, as your people, like we, we want to love you and we want to follow you and we want to serve you and we, we want to honor you with our lives and, and we want this church to honor you as well. And so we just ask that you would empower us by your word and, and by your spirit's illumination of your word to our hearts yeah, so that we would live in line with, with you and live in line with your word and that we would bring much glory and worship to you. So we just trust that all that will happen um, for your glory and for our good. And so we just long that you would do it, God. In your good name, amen. Amen. Well, let's read our passage together. We're just gonna take a, uh, just a brief clip from where we finished off last week and kind of transition it all together here, right? So again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists and pastors and teachers. Those are the leaders that we talked about, right? So Christ gave these people to the church, right? Verse 12, to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ would be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the measure and the fullness of Christ, right? So we all grow up to look like Jesus, to resemble Him, to imitate Him, right? So verse 14, then you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, verses 15, this is like highlight this. I should have bolded it, right? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality and to indulge in every kind of impurity and full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in jesus for you were taught with regard to your former way of life put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like god in true righteousness and true holiness all right there's a lot there but i want to help us kind of make sense of what's going on like like this week is like super, super, super important for us, if we're gonna make sense of what's coming in the in the coming verses, the 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 actions that God will call us to respond to, right? So just follow me back to verse eleven, right? The the passage begins with this: it says God gave leaders, right? God gave these people in verse eleven. He gave them to the church and their job. Verse twelve is to equip everyone for the works of ministry. In verse thirteen, so that everyone would grow up to look like Jesus. And so the question is, Christian maturity, it looks like increasingly looking more like Jesus, right? If the goal of those leaders is to help all of us grow up so that we look more like Jesus, right? It's really important to understand that Paul is not just talking about, like, outward behaviors or actions. The Bible is, like, a super, super clear that our behavior is just a symptom of what's going on at a heart level for us. The actions that we do, the things that, look, that, that come out of our lives on the outside, they're just, they're just results of what's happening internally in our hearts. So growing up in Christ is not just doing the things that Jesus did. It's not just like trying to like serve people and feed the homeless, and it's not just like trying to you know, do whatever, right? But rather it's, um, it's about having the mind of Christ. It's seeing the world as he does, living life as he does, not as we do. Verse 22, at the very end of the passage, it kind of talks about this, and it says, put off the old self and put on the new self, right? And there's this contrast that's there, right? Because it says, the old self, it's being corrupted by deceitful desires, right? It's being corrupted by deceitful desires. And like, I just want to take a minute to pause on that, right? The whole passage is full of this language of contrast between the truth and between lies, right? Over and over in the passage, there's a contrast between what is true and what is a lie, right? And what Paul is articulating here is that um, our old self, like kind of our default mode of thinking, it's like we're lying to ourselves and it's killing us, right? Right? It's, we're lying to ourselves about the things that we think will give life, the things that we think will satisfy, the things that we think will give purpose and meaning, the things that we think will like fulfill and actually satisfy like the longings in our heart. The, Paul says, your default mode is that you're just lying to yourself about those things. You think all that stuff will satisfy, but those desires, those, those things that you're pursuing, like, they're just a lie. They're never going to fulfill. They're never going to satisfy and so Paul says, instead, put off the old self that's been corrupted by deceitful desires. And the way that you do that, right, is by having a mind like Christ, right? So be, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Again, because it's from our hearts, it's from our minds that everything flows out of. <clears throat> what we believe to be true, the things that we believe change how we act right it's the first day of snow i've shared this example with you before right like if i have a snowball in my hand and you you really believe i'm going to chuck it at your head then you will duck because you don't want to get an ice ball chucked at your head right but if you think i'm just messing around you don't think i'll actually throw it then you're like ha, that's funny you know and you don't move because you don't believe that i will throw it See, our beliefs, what we really believe will happen, it changes our actions, right? Like, it's alternate side parking, at least it was in Platteville. Like, if you believe you're going to get a ticket if you leave your car on the wrong side of the road, then you put your car in the parking lot, right? It changes your actions. You don't want to get a ticket. I've gotten way too many, right? Because sometimes what happens is it's like, oh, I don't really believe I'll get a ticket. I, th- I think it'll be okay, right? Every time, right? <laughs> they are really dig- diligent, right, in that. But it's, right... It's, the, it's like i was trying to illustrate that like what we believe affects our actions. It affects what we do, right? And Paul is saying here at the, at, at the outside, right? He's saying what you believe is a lie. Those things that you believe, they're lies and they're leading you in a direction that's corrupting you. He said you need a new mind. You need a mind like Christ. You need that from him. And so the question again is how, Right? How do you get a new heart? How do you get a new mind? How do you start thinking as Jesus would? How do you How does that transformation happen? How do we grow up to look more like Jesus? So I think unfortunately a lot of times what people think is that the how of growing up in Christ really boils down to just like a couple of practices, right? Like if I would just start doing X, Y, or Z, then I would just like really start growing up. Like if I would just start praying every day, then, then that would be what would I would be growing up spiritually. Like if I would just read my Bible more, if I would just like come to church more regularly, if I would just serve in some new way, or if I would just give more or if I would just do whatever, right? Then that's what would really help me grow up in Christ. If I just was intentional about the practices that i was trying to do then then those are the things that would really grow me up in christ the the problem with that stuff those aren't wrong or bad things but the problem is is that they're primarily about you they're primarily reliant on what you can do and about your accomplishments they're about your intentionality right and the bottom line is that like you didn't get saved because of anything that you did you got saved because of all that jesus would do on your behalf so the idea that like Jesus would save you and then he'd be like, you're on your own, work hard at it, like that's that's crazy, right? See, sometimes we believe that the practices themselves are what's gonna grow us up into Christ, but the only thing that's gonna grow us up into Christ is Christ. The only thing that will make us look more like Jesus is Jesus himself. See, uh, Paul, in another letter in the New Testament, he's writing to this church in Galatians, and they're having the same problem, right? They were saved by the gospel and the belief that Jesus um, saved them, not because of their own work, but because of all that he has done. And then what they decided to do is they decided that the way that they would grow up is that they would just, like, try harder that they would rely on the things that they could do and they rely on their religious practices and they would rely on all these different kinds of um, systems and structures and and opinions of others. And like, if we would just do all these things and that's what would really make God happy with us and that's how we would be more mature in Christ. And Paul is like, that's crazy talk. Jesus saved you, not because of anything that you did, but because of his grace. So how do you think you're gonna like start figuring it out on your own when you didn't get it in the first place? It's God's grace that saves you. It's God's grace that grows you up as well. See, the practices, spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, growing with other believers, like, those are really good things. But, like, just doing those things is not going to grow you up because what grows you up is Jesus. Those those things have to be a, a means to get to Him, it has to be about pursuing Him and about longing after him and growing after him and longing to be more like him. See, he has to be the point. He has to be the goal. The goal of all of our life is to get Jesus. (laughs) It's not to just like have a cheat sheet of some practices that make us look holy on the outside. The goal of our lives is to get him, to, to treasure him and to enjoy him and to like just like be changed increasingly by Jesus. So how do we do that then, right? Verse 15 is the key to everything that's going on in our passage, right? Verse 15 says this. It's, uh, can you follow with me, Hannah, on here? It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature in the body of him who is in Christ. So the way that we grow up to look like Jesus is by speaking the truth in love, right? And I just want to clarify kind of a misunderstanding. I think a lot of times we have believed, like, assume that, that what that means is, like, say hard things to people, but say it in a loving way, and that will be good. Like, Dustin, your haircut is terrible. I love you. You know, like, I just needed to say it, right? You know, or like, you know, like, if you live in the South, right, you can say anything about anyone as long as you say, like, God love them, Right? Like, they're just a despicable human being. God love them, right? Everything's fine then, right? That's not what the passage is talking about, right? The passage is not just saying, like, say hard things to people, but do it in a loving way. That's, like, something that we should do as Christians. Like, that's elsewhere found in Scripture, but that's not what's happening here, right? What's happening is that we just got done with three chapters of the apostle Paul reminding and declaring to this church the goodness and the magnitude and the majesty of the gospel of Jesus. So when he says, "Speak the truth in love," he's telling them, "Speak the gospel to one another." Right. If you fast forward um, to verse fifteen or verse twenty-one, it says, "For that's not the way you learned Christ when you heard about him in the and the truth that is in Jesus." So the way that we all grow up is by speaking the truths of the gospel into our lives. And it's by me as a leader helping to speak the truths of the gospel into your lives. And it's you as people speaking the truths of the gospel into each other's lives and into your own hearts. And if all of us as followers of Jesus continue to grow up in learning how to speak the truths of the gospel into all of our lives, into each other's hearts and into our own situations, that's the how we all grow up. I can't do it on my own, right? You can't just rely on me here on Sunday mornings or anyone else to to be the only person that speaks the gospel into your hearts and your lives. It has to be something that you learn how to do for yourself and with others, It sounds simple in some ways, right? Like, well, we'll just like tell everybody about the gospel and like that'll be good, right? The problem is, is that like uh, speaking the truths of the gospel into people's lives, like that's not like a magic wand that you just like wave around and then like bam, everything's different, right? Because speaking the truths of the gospel into people's lives is not like a magic wand, it's like a battle, right? In a lot of ways, it's like trench warfare almost. Because, like, the battle that's happening is the the spiritual battles of the heart. We're not just fighting things on a head level or on a knowledge level. What's happening is that we're longing for the gospel to, like, speak into the heart things, to reach into, like, the deep corners of our heart, the things at the root that affect all of the actions on the outside. I said before, right, the passage is full of this, this conflict between the truth and between lives, right? The passage says that we are futile in our thinking, darkened in our understanding, um, that we are blown around by cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming, that we're being corrupted by deceitful desires, right? And it's into that, it's into that battle, it's into that, like, that frame that the gospel is being proclaimed into, Right? It's being proclaimed into, like, the, th- the depths and the thickness of the lies that our hearts believe. And the bottom line is that, like, we all believe lies about who we are. We all believe lies about who God is. And what we believe about who God is affects what we believe about who we are. And what we believe about those things affects our actions and the things that we do, right? Right? The role of the gospel is to shine light into the areas of darkness in our hearts and to shine light into the things that are lies, right? Imagine like if you, like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever bought stuff online or on eBay, right? And the picture that, of the thing you thought you bought is not the thing that shows up in the mail, Right? Like the picture was like this beautiful thing, and this looks like it got run over by a train, right? What's happening is that like you see the picture online, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's what I have. That's what I want. That's what I bought," right? And it's until you like open up the package that you got. It's until the light comes in, and you see that like this is not this is not what I thought it was. This is not the thing that I thought I had um, paid for. It's not the thing that I thought I had pursued. It's not the thing that I really wanted. It's something totally else. That's what Paul is talking about. Is that when we speak the truths of the gospel, it's that it reveals that like the des- those desires that we have, that they're just deceitful desires, that they were lies that weren't, it was just like the, the thing that you got lied to about when you bought something on eBay, right? And it's only when the gospel shines light into that that we see it for the lie that it is. We see that it's not the thing we wanted. We see that it's not what we desired. We see that it's not the thing that we are pursuing. Beliefs are hard to change, right? A heart is difficult to change. It's easy to teach someone information, it's hard to teach someone to understand something, right? Like any of you who are teachers, like you'll understand that, right? You can tell anyone anything. They might be able to write it back down for you, but they might not understand what that means. Treating symptoms is easy. Treating the disease is really hard. Knowledge is easy. Believing is hard. And so how do we change root-level beliefs? The passage is saying the only way you change the heart, the only way that you change those root level beliefs is that you proclaim the truth of the gospel into every corner and nook and crevice of the heart so that all of the deceit and all the lies are revealed for the fakes that they are. They're revealed as the things that don't give life. They're revealed as as the lies and they're revealed as the trickery that they really are and the gospel shines light on it so that we might believe what's actually true. I think one just helpful note here as we think about doing this, right? A lot of times I think as Christians we believe that there is like a difference between evangelism and discipleship, right? A lot of times people think that evangelism is what you do before people become Christians and discipleship is what you do after people become Christians, right? And like I think we just need to kind of demystify that and like there's, there's the Bible doesn't make any lines about like that, See, at evangelism, at the core of evangelism is the proclamation of the good news about the gospel. And the passage is saying the only thing that helps you grow up in Christ is the proclamation about the good news of the gospel into every corner of your heart. So people who don't know or are not followers of Jesus yet need the proclamation of the gospel just as much as anyone who says they're a follower of Jesus because the gospel is the good news that, that shines light into our hearts. So no matter how long you've been following Jesus, like you need the good news of the gospel constantly shown into your heart. You need it constantly proclaimed into your heart. And that's things that we get to do ourselves, that's things that the Spirit speaks into our hearts, It's things that our spouses get to do with us, it's things that our friends get to do, it's things that we do in small groups and community groups, right? It's something I get the chance to do as I proclaim the gospel to you here on Sunday mornings. There's a million different ways that that looks like, but the only thing that changes our hearts is when the truths of the gospel get proclaimed into it. I just want to share a few stories to like help, like give some like help, like frame this a little bit. Um, before I was a pastor here on staff or uh, with with River City Church, I worked for an organization called Intervarsity at, at UW Platteville, and one of the things that we were doing at, at a conference with students is trying to help. Um, people understand how the gospel was good news to them, right? And so I remember talking with this, uh, this one student and I was just, at, we, were, we were talking about, wh- why do you think the gospel is so go- such good news to you? And at the root of that question is, like, what is the problem that the gospel speaks into? And I asked this, I asked this girl and she just said, I've always found my identity and value and worth in what other people think about me. I've been a people pleaser since I was five years old. She just like went on, she's like, that's caused me to like do things that I would never otherwise have done. And I've like, pursued different jobs or pursued even the college that I went to because I desperately needed the approval of other people. It caused her, she said, to compromise her morals and her values on num- numerous occasions. It affected the way she spent her time. It affected how, where she lived, who she lived with. It affected everything. The, the people-pleasing just like crippled her existence. There's this constant weight of needing the approval of others. And the problem is there is always one more person whose approval she was looking for. So I just asked her, like, how do you think the gospel speaks into that? How do you think the gospel is good news in light of that? And at the time she like, she was like crying and she's like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I just like am feeling the weight of that and like reminding myself about that. And like I, I don't know how the gospel speaks into that. And like I just needed to gently remind her. That like because she was a chose to follow Jesus, that her identity does not have anything to do with her performance, it has everything to do with Jesus's performance on her behalf, right the approval that she is looking for she already has in the king and the creator of the universe because the bible says that when she's put her faith in jesus that that she is now in christ that god sees her through the lens of jesus and like god is incredibly pleased with jesus like jesus could not have lived any better he god could not be more pleased with his son In fact, God like literally speaks from heaven to a group of people about Jesus, says this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Like literally a voice from heaven says that about Jesus. And what that girl needed to be reminded of is that that's the words that God is speaking about her because she's in Christ. I'm pleased with you. I'm satisfied with you. You have my approval. You are my daughter. I love you. That's not because of anything you did. It's because of everything my son did on your behalf. God is a good father who, is, who loves his kids. She needed to be reminded about that her approval comes from him and that she already has the approval of the king of the universe who created Everything. Like, who cares what anybody else thinks? If you have the approval of the creator of the universe, like, you can't get more than that. So I just asked her, I was like, like, what's happening in your heart? As I'm like reminding you about that stuff. And she's just like, she's just like, is crying, you know? And she's just telling me, she just says, I feel like I can actually like love and serve people now because I don't need something from them anymore. I'm not constantly seeking the approval that I need from them in order to validate who I am. She's saying I can actually like love and care for people because I don't need something from them. She said, like, my heart just feels like like that weight is is gone. She said, I feel like my heart is just filled with worship and thankfulness and gratitude. For her whole life, she had believed that it mattered most what anyone else thought about her besides Jesus. The gospel was speaking good news into her heart by reminding her that, like Jesus, was satisfied with her; he was pleased with her. God loved her not conditionally; he loved her genuinely and unrelentingly because of what Jesus had done on her behalf. That was really good news to her. The gospel was beginning to break in and change her heart. And let me let me be honest: like that wasn't like this moment wasn't like wow my life was totally different and now it's like 100 percent free on the other end right because like the truths of the gospel were beginning a battle in her heart they weren't just like swiping it and done right the gospel was beginning to speak the truths into her heart she finally had the weapons that she needed to like fight the lies that she was believing and for her like it wasn't an overnight kind of transformation it was a battle for a lot of years, for her, and she continued to wrestle, like, with finding her identity and approval in the in the opinions of others about her. But it was really cool to see how, over time, what was changing in her is like the quickness by which she would realize that, like, that was crap, and that the gospel was really good news, and it was speaking into her heart. One of my uh, students as well had an opportunity to share a testimony. Uh, his story at kind of a men's night at a at a retreat that we were doing. And he was talking with a bunch of the guys about his own struggle with lust and how the gospel was like changing his heart with regards to that. And so we, uh, I kind of gathered a couple of guys that were going to be speaking and I gathered them up before and we, and we just, uh, I took them to a side room and we just spent some time praying. And I could tell that like something was up uh, with one of the guys that I was going to share. And I just asked him like, like, it seems like, like there's something going on. Like it seems like there's just like something that's that's really bothering you. He just said like I don't want to do this. Like I don't I don't want to get up in front of people and tell them about my faults and my failures and tell them about my mistakes. And I what I could have said to him was, "Hey, don't worry about it. Like everybody has mistakes. Everybody has faults. Like Nobody's going to fault you for that. Like, it'll be okay. Like, just go for it. Like, it's going to be all right. People know you. Like, it'll be fine. But what that would have been doing is just telling him, like, just, just think harder about it. Just try harder. Just, just, like, believe harder that you can do it and it'll be fine. And instead, what I did is I, the, the three guys that were in there, I just asked his two friends, I just said, what do you think the gospel would have to say about, like, the fears that are controlling your friend right now? Like, how's the gospel good news to him right now? And uh, man, that was just like one of the coolest moments ever. His friends just like sat there for a moment, and then like one after the next, they just kept speaking truths into his heart. His friend just said, God already knows your failures. He still chose to love you and save you. You're already a son of God, dearly loved. Jesus proved that he loved you when he died for you on the cross. He knew all of your junk. He knew all of your rebellion. He knew all of your sin. His opinion matters most, and he said you were worth it. Your weakness, in our weaknesses, we get to point to Jesus's strength. So you sharing your story isn't really about you, it's about him. And you get to tell others about how good Jesus is and about all that he's doing on your behalf. Your failures don't define you anymore. There's no condemnation in those. There's freedom to make much of Jesus because of all that he's done on your behalf. And like, you could just tell like, as each of his friends were just like reminding him about the truth about Jesus, like you could just like sense that like the fear and the worry and the anxiety and like the things that were crippling him, they were just like slowly like being like just discarded. And so they, his friends just spent time praying with him and reminding him about those things that were true. And he got up, and he did just a phenomenal job of sharing his story with Jesus as the hero because like he was freshly reminded about how much he needed Jesus and how incredibly greatly Jesus had met the need he had. And so he just loved getting to talk about Jesus, and he loved, like, he just was like, man, like, I've been wrestling and struggling with this stuff and it felt like just like an unbreakable kind of thing And the gospel is just like reminding me that like jesus has the power to overcome all of those things as proven in jesus rising from death on the cross And so like you see like you should have just seen like the life in which he spoke about jesus Just recently uh, dustin and I were out for lunch and We were just talking about uh, work and things that were going on and Dustin was just talking about uh, one of the guys that he has to work with is like a special kind of frustrating. And one of the things that's true about this guy that Dustin has to work with is that like he goes out of his way in every possible way to avoid having any blame put on him for anything. Like this guy's chief goal in his job is to not have anything fall on him. And so he'll do whatever he has to do in order that the blame gets shifted to somebody else. And so Dustin and I were just like sitting uh, in Zorro's Euros, just talking about like what it would look like if, if the gospel would speak truths into that situation. Like how might Dustin's like actions at work look differently if the gospel was really like good news to him? And we just talked about like We just talked about the fact that, like, if Dustin believed the gospel in light of what was happening at work, then he would be able to accept the blame for things that were his fault. Because in everyone's job, there are places you mess up and things that fail, right? And instead of constantly needing to shift the blame for those things, Dustin would really be able to own up to whatever things were on his plate. And he would be able to do that, like, openly and boldly, because it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter like that the blame is on him. Like Dustin's identity is not wrapped up in like what his bosses think about what he's doing. His identity, his career is not wrapped up in how well he's performing. His career is wrapped up in where Jesus wants him to be. And so the good news about the gospel is that Jesus took the blame that was not his. And we were guilty, and Jesus decided that he would take the blame on our behalf. And so we're seen before God as like completely righteous and good and, and completely clean with him. So we're able to like own up to our mistakes and we're able to own up the things that are our fault in our lives, in our work, because it doesn't affect our identity. It doesn't affect who we are. It doesn't affect our standing with God as our father and as the one who is king and ruler of all things. It doesn't change that. And so you can be honest with your coworkers and you can be honest with God about the things that have been mistakes in your life or in your past or in your career or all those kinds of things. And furthermore, doesn't, doesn't need to just shift the blame onto somebody else, hoping that he'll be able to climb the ladder in his career at work. Rather, he can really be confident in believing that God has put him in the exact spot where he's at for a time, a place, and a purpose, and a reason. And if God sees fit to change that, then he will do it. And so it allows us to be present and to be intentional and to be focused on the place that he's at now instead of constantly needing to be looking for what's next. That's the truth of the gospel, speaking into a situation that feels like, how is that connected with Jesus? But the gospel is good news into all those kinds of places. Those are just like a few small, tiny stories about what it looks like to speak the truth of the gospel into our hearts and lives. There are an infinite amount of ways that the gospel is spoken to our hearts because there are like an infinite amount of lies that we're all believing. <laughs> and so as we wrap up our time in our passage, right, it's important to remember that the role of leaders is to equip everyone to learn how to do that. Like when I showed when I told you that story about the student who was going to share his testimony and his friends. Man, like, that was, like, one of the proudest moments I've ever had. Like, (laughs) because I didn't say anything in that, like, 10 minutes. I just asked them, like, how do you think the gospel speaks good news to your friend's heart? And for, like, five minutes, they were just, like, reminding him in a circle about all that Jesus had done for him. They were learning how to speak the truths of the gospel, and I had spoken those same things to them many times. And it was starting to take root in their hearts in such a way that they could proclaim it to others. See, the role of leaders is that we need to learn as leaders to speak the gospel into people's lives. We can't look to other things in order to be the things that will grow up people in Christ. We have to look to the gospel first, that's the thing that will change. And furthermore, as leaders especially, we need to get really good at doing that. Like We need to increasingly, intentionally learn how to articulate the truths of the gospel into every area of life. And we need to get good at teaching other people how to do it as well so it doesn't stop with us. The goal is that everyone in the church, the ministry you've all been given, the ministry I've been given, the ministry we've all been given, is that we would learn to speak the gospel into every situation in life, into the lives of people that don't know Jesus yet, in the lives of people that do, because all of us need the proclamation of the good news into every corner of our hearts. That's how we change. That's the one way we change. So we want to look like Jesus, right? All of us are needed to do that. Everyone in the body of Christ needs to learn how to speak the truths of the gospel into every area of life because that's the only way we grow up into maturity in Jesus. So this is like uh, not a curriculum thing. It's like a culture thing. Does that make sense? Right? There's not like a book that's just like, here's the 37 ways you talk about the gospel to people. Cool, done right? Like, it's like a culture. It's like a mindset. It's like a, a a reorientation kind of thing that is like how we approach all of life. We're looking for how the good news of the gospel speaks into it. It's not a curriculum, although there are some super helpful tools. And I'll uh, post some of those online on my uh, Facebook page if you want to dig into those a little bit more. But it's a long-haul approach to growing up in Jesus. It's not a quick fix, jim elliott uh, a a famous missionary he said this one does not surrender a life in an instant that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime and that's what paul is talking about here growing up in christ is going to like that's a continuum that happens from like the day you become a follower of him to like the day you kick the bucket or he returns and so it's an ongoing thing for all of our lives that we would invite the gospel to speak truth into it, that we would be uprooting the lives we're believing, replacing them with the truths about who Jesus is, and living different lives because of it. So as I, as I next steps, right, for us as a church, as I preach, always look for the gospel. Like if we get through a week on Sunday mornings and I haven't reminded us about Jesus and all that he's done, then like that's a problem, <laughs> because he's the only one that changes and renews and restores. And if I haven't got to him, I miss the point. Continue to think and grow and have conversations with your small group and with others about what it looks like to speak the gospel into your hearts. And lastly, I would just say, pray. Pray that the Spirit would show you how the gospel applies to your life. Pray that the Spirit would show you the lies that you're believing that aren't true. And pray that others in the community would low That Like the Spirit would give them wisdom so that they would know how to speak those truths into their lives. The gospel is the best news in the history of the universe. It's the thing that changes and renews and restores nothing else. It's like let's let's speak that truth all the time to one another. Let me pray. God, thank you for how good you are and for how greatly you have loved us. God, we just, yeah, we need you. We need you to speak the truths of the gospel into our hearts and into the lies that we believe all the time. We ask that you would graciously do that. We ask that you would just like mercifully do that. And so like when, as we take communion, God, like we just remember and celebrate all that you've done for us. We ask that your spirit would continue to shine light into our hearts and the places of unbelief, that it would be incredibly good news to you, to us all that you've done on our behalf. Help us to see it in its depth and magnitude. Spirit of God, Like just show us in the ways we need to see how the gospel changes who we are. In your good name, amen.